Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. My name is Pat Iyer, and this morning I have with me Peggy Duchesne, who has the enviable experience of having worked for 30 years in law firms with attorneys in in the legal assistant paralegal type of position. So she's seen firsthand the, the tensions and the joys of working with attorneys. She's got a background as an EMT and has been involved in looking at medical records. Peg, just for our listeners' sake, Tell us about a case in which you were using your experience with medical training to help an attorney. Well, Pat, thank you again for having me this morning. It's a true pleasure to be with you. I remember a case that was um, a Jeep rollover case, and we were in a room, no windows, just boxes everywhere, going through all the documents, and it was a what we call a discovery dump with just everything and anything, sort of bury them in paperwork attitude. And we were going through paperwork and sifting through, trying to organize. We would, it was um, a multitude of uh, individuals who'd been involved in Jeep rollovers, not just one particular case. It was several. And we were trying to find proof that, um, you know, the, the for instance, the seat belts held them in even when it rolled. And they were trying to determine that speed was a factor. And in a Jeep, the gravity is a little different because of the height of the vehicle. So we were sifting through a lot of documents. And one of the terms that they wanted us to find through any of the documentation was, was there any bruising or, um, you know, ecchymosis or those kinds of terms that could prove that the seatbelt did its job and that uh, the plaintiffs were, you know, trying to get money from the Jeep company rather than, um, rather than the injuries they sustained. We were on the defendant side, but that um, was one that I recalled vividly of just the myriads of paperwork trying to sift and sort it so attorneys could have an organized way to look at the data and understand what was in the cumulative volumes of paper. Mm -hmm. When you look at the design of a Jeep, which I did one day when I was stopped at a light in Florida and I saw this guy with his legs sticking out of the Jeep. He had a little footrest on the side of the body of the Jeep and he was not wearing a seatbelt. And I was thinking, what is going to keep him inside that Jeep if it rolls over and rolls on top of him? That's not going to turn out well. Exactly. And those were the kinds of cases that we were dealing with. And again, we were defending the comp the car company, not the plaintiffs. But um, 
finding that terminology that would prove that the seatbelt held because of course if you were in the seatbelt and it rolled but you had a bruise where the belt was that meant the seatbelt did its job kind of thing that was one that i remember vividly mm-hmm Yes, and the legal nurse consultant listening to this who's ever worked in an emergency room knows that there's that characteristic mark on the upper shoulder and then across the abdomen for a um, a lap belt that can answer those questions that you're right. talking about. Was the person restrained at the time? It was sort of the needle in the haystack theory where you're looking for the magic word in heaps and heaps of documentation. And did you find it? In many cases, we did. Um, and that's what helped us sort things. If they, if we could prove they were wearing a seatbelt, they went in one pile because those would lead to questions um, about the good job the Jeep manufacturer had done in having the seatbelt do its job and hold the patient, uh, hold the passenger, I should say. I have to ask you, having worked on those cases, would you ever own a Jeep? I would not. I often felt the kinds of law firms I worked in were appellate laws, and I always felt we were on the wrong side of the law. I felt, you know, there were times when I was crying. Some of the pictures were just so vividly horrific. I would not own a Jeep. Um, yeah, I would not. I remember working on a, a case going to an IME with a girl who was thrown out of a Jeep in a rollover and had significant head injuries. And I was accompanying her on an examination. It's called various things, defense medical exam, independent medical exam, insurance medical exam. But the purpose of this in the United States is to have a supposedly neutral physician examine the patient to determine the extent of injuries. Because those physicians are paid by the insurance company, the underlying concern is that they're not going to be objective and they're going to want to please the person who's sending them the work. So there's a fairly high level of skepticism about the results of those exams. And this girl got a medical questionnaire to fill out. It was a, a neuropsychologist who was doing the exam. And the questions were about seven or eight pages long that required her to process, to think, to analyze, to summarize. She stared at that clipboard. I think we were in that waiting room for 45 minutes with her trying to fill out these questions. And I knew I couldn't help her. I was I, my role was to be with her and support her and document what I saw, but I couldn't answer the questions with her or for her. She right. got maybe three pages done in 45 minutes. It was painful to watch her struggle with those questions. And, and ultimately she got a settlement, but she never got her brain functioning back. It was only a solution for part of the problem. And lots of times that's the tactic is to make someone realize that it might not be worth it to ask for your just 
do and not to sue or not to bring attention to a fault or those kinds of things. But as a nurse expert, I know the lawyers so appreciated that expertise on the trial because the paralegal didn't have the training to, you know, we were told what words to look for and what they meant and the kinds of concepts, but I'm sure as a nurse, they had much better understanding of similar comments that maybe we weren't taught to look for that would have aided one side or the other in terms of making a determination for the for the injuries sustained and those kinds of things. Other things we had to look at, Pat, included hours worked and hours missed from work and all those kinds of things. And you know, doctor's appointments. And I remember one person in a deposition was saying that they didn't miss any work. They would schedule their appointments early in the day, go into work late, but then stay longer. So they still had a full day, but they were, you know, having to adjust their life to compensate for their injuries. And that they're just looking at the total hours worked for a day. Oh, she worked a full eight hours. That she wasn't impacted at all by the accident and those mm. kinds of things. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's a great point. It's the details that are significant in that case. And what else did you observe when you were looking at the way that attorneys functioned with medical documents? I remember some attorneys would just get real nervous because they're in a world where they know so much about so many things, but quite often it's the medical arena that they feel so uncomfortable in. And so when a nurse was brought on, they got a level of relief knowing that, oh good, an expert's here to, to help all of us through this. There were some other cases we worked on, like um, asbestos cases and determining dates of work at an at an area where there could have been exposure to asbestos and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And um, again, just windowless rooms filled with boxes and boxes of paper and trying to make sense of it all. But I will say it was a visible sign of relief when a nurse would be hired to work alongside the attorney to decipher all the paperwork because it was an area they were not comfortable in. Well, that's a great recommendation for why an attorney should work with a nurse. I know that when you left that position, and, and to be clear, you are not a nurse, you have become a marketing specialist. You took what you learned and working in the dynamics of an organization and went out on your own. Now you're focused on helping people with social media and marketing. I know that the person listening to this program has probably at one point or another asked, how do I get work? How do I combine social media with bringing attorneys to me? So I wanted to focus for the rest of our time this morning on the value of social media and some specific platforms that you could recommend and how we can use them 
to best serve us as we are looking for relationships, if we are looking for cases as legal nurse consultants. So let's start with talking about the relationship aspect of all of this. I'm so glad you brought that up, Pat, because marketing is all about building those relationships, having people remember you so that when they need you, they think of you first and you're on the tip of their tongue, so to speak, and they're ready to reach out to you and they know who you are, what you do, because you've done a good job of marketing, feeding them the information in a sequential and consistent way so that when the need arises for your services, they think of you and call you up and make the hire right away. Mm -hmm. Before we talk about social media platforms, though, I'd like to bring up the fact that an individual's website is sort of like the hub. If you think of a bicycle wheel, the hub of the bicycle wheel, that's your website. And then from that, each of the spokes go out to the outer rim, which can be social media, uh, podcasting, any kind of other way that you're um, getting your message out but then it should always point back to the center. And I think it's important to have websites that really tell the story of who you are, the value that you bring to the table, your unique experience that makes you special, and then ways to get in touch with you. Um, I also would say that blogging is very important because that's the way that your website gets new content on the website periodically. And Google loves new content. So if you're not yet blogging, I would encourage you at a very minimum to do a blog once a month. And it could be as easy as you talking into your phone about a case you worked on or an area of expertise you had in your earlier nursing career and just talk about it for five minutes into your phone, transcribe that into a blog post, clean it up so that it reads better for the audience, and then there's your blog. And if you do that once a month, you'll see it's not difficult and maybe you could get to an every other week and then the goal would be six months, get it to a weekly habit. And then from that long form of content, you can take chunks out and make that your LinkedIn post for the day. And maybe three posts a week can be from that long, longer blog post. And then at the bottom, you say to read more. And that's when you go from the outer wheel back to the website point back into your blog, and then they're on your site again. The whole point of social media is to get people aware of you, but also to learn more about you, and they do that through your website. So those would be my recommendations. Yes, uh, and that sounds like a, a simple and manageable way to get started, because I think sometimes when LNCs hear about blogging, it is a, a mystery. It's an overwhelming thing. What do I write about? How long should it be? What do I use it for? I think what do I use it for is the question that people should be asking, whereas often the frequently asked question is, how do I do it? 
But as you've pointed out, once you have that blog, you can then break it partway through the beginning of it and then direct people back to the website to read the rest. Which for people listening to this program who are receiving my weekly easings, which you can get, by the way, by signing up for any one of our um, special reports on LegalNurseBusiness.com, you'll find that my pattern is exactly what Peg has suggested, taking a blog and breaking it at a point where it stimulates some curiosity. What's Pat going to say next? And that curiosity is what causes people to click the button to go to the website to read the rest of it. Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. My name is Pat Iyer, and I have with me today Marianne Cosby, who is one of the speakers at our October 27, 28, and 29, 2022 Legal Nurse Consulting Online Conference. This is the sixth conference that Barbara Levin and I have planned called LNC Success Conference. And I invited Marianne to be one of our panel speakers. She's an experienced legal nurse consultant and author who has given a lot to her profession and a lot to the field of legal nurse consulting. And Marianne, I think I've known you, I would say probably at least 15 years, maybe 20 years. It could be longer. You've always come to the conferences and I've always seen you and listening and participating. Yeah, it seems like it. You know, time flies when you're having fun, right? As they say, Um, I remember uh, actually having a picture with you and um, um, one of the presidents at the conference. I think it was in Charlotte, if I'm not mistaken. So and I know we knew each other quite a while before that. So it's probably been about at least 15, 20 years, something like that. Yes. And in that time, can you tell our viewer what type of legal nurse consulting do you do? Well, actually, the bulk of my career um, has been, and I've been uh, doing uh, what I consider legal nurse consulting for about the last 30, between 30 and 35 years. Um, And most of my experience has been as an expert witness. Uh, I started my business in 1991, so somebody else can do the math. Um, And most of the time I was uh, retained as an expert witness in medical malpractice cases for many, many years. Um, And then over time, and this is part of one of the the, um, tips I'm going to give you um, in um, the panel that we have at the conference, is to kind of think in terms of the Um, short term and the long term. So for a long time, I was just really kind of in the short term mode, um, working on medical malpractice cases. And then I started thinking about "Hmm, what can I do for the long term? What's going to be kind of like the short ball and long ball? Um, What and and I hope to uh, expand on that in in the conference um, in October, to give you ideas of where to um, set your sights on for the long term while still uh, achieving your you know, short-term goals in the short term. I know that we could give you eight hours, Marianne, and you wouldn't run out of things to say about this. You've got so much experience and have seen this field from different angles. I know that you've done expert witness work, but what is your role now in terms of the financial piece? What services do you offer? 
Sure. Yeah. Well, I still do some, uh, you know, med mail. In fact, I was just working on a huge case for the last month. Um, but a lot of my expertise is in um, nurse life care planning or life care planning. Uh, and I provide um, develop uh, life care plans for both um, for plaintiff or review and critique life care plans that have been produced by the de- by the plaintiff life care planner. And I work for the defense. And then another um, avenue I've pursued is the medical bill review. Um, so that's really looking at the past medical bills. Uh, and it's really important in these personal injury case- cases uh, for the uh, for the plaintiff and for the defense to understand if the, the, the bills are what they call reasonable. So using my life care planning expertise, I have created another niche or just, you know, pursued that path in order to provide um, expert witness um, uh, reviews and reports on medical billing. Mm -hmm. And keeping track of all those details, particularly the medical billing piece is so important for especially plaintiff attorneys in determining what their demand will be to make sure that medical bills are covered the defense is making sure that they're not paying for extraneous care unrelated to the injury that resulted in the litigation. Uh, what a phenomenally important role for attorneys on both sides. Yes. And uh, in addition to that, a lot of these cases uh, have what they call um, the, the providers have built on what they call a lien. So they're not producing bills that go through the insurance company, but they're creating bills and they give them to the attorneys. And um, sometimes they're pretty inflated. So that's the other element um, and role that I play is to look at, are these really reasonable bills? Are they you know, at the upper end of the, of the range? Um, and you know, I generally uh, allow the attorneys to kind of figure out, well, um, is that not that it's not reasonable, but to determine whether that is something that they want to fly with in their in their case in their negotiations. But I try to be very straightforward and and, and use a, a standard methodology, uh, which I could go into further in in, uh, in September or I'm sorry October. But uh, stick with your my methodology, and so that way I'm credible regardless of whether I'm on the plaintiff's side or whether I'm working with the defense. Yes. Yes. I know that there's so much that you can share and you will be sharing. The person who's watching this video, I'm talking to you. You have an opportunity to join us October 27, 28, and 29, 2022, by going to this link right below the video, which is lnc.tips forward slash October 2022 virtual. There's no spaces in any of these words, lnc.tips forward slash October 2022 virtual. You can grab your seat. And if you're watching this video after the conference is over, go to that link so that you can invest in the recordings. We would love to have you there. And you can have an opportunity to ask Marianne questions, as well as ask questions of the other speakers who include attorneys, legal nurse consultants, business experts, marketing experts, and I'll be sharing some content on video marketing that you can use to get ahead of 
57% of other legal nurse consultants in terms of drawing attention to you and your skills. Be sure to sign up for the conference and we would love to see you there. Thanks so much, Marianne. Thank you for asking me. Now let's return to the show. Well, and not only read the rest of that particular blog, but once they're back on your site, if you have your headlines correct that are attention-grabbing headlines, they're going to say, oh, what else has she written about? What else does he have an area of expertise in? And then you're piquing interest. They're on your website. Maybe you have a free opt-in, like Pat just disclosed how hers works, and you say, get my report on XYZ. And it could be as easy as three tips, five tips, and then you've captured their email address and you have that. And that's another step in building that relationship that's so important between you and your audience. And then we talked about blogging and then chunking it down and posting. If you're comfortable enough to do a quick recap of your blog on video, then that kind of content does very well on Facebook, Instagram, and even LinkedIn now, which has a video component that it didn't have previously. Mm -hmm. I would think that your audience, Pat, would do very well on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is the most professional of all the social media platforms. There are people that say LinkedIn isn't even social because they think social is just pictures of food and your pets or something, right? But LinkedIn is where I would assume lawyers and paralegals, legal assistants, the kind of people in law firms that are looking for the expertise that your audience of nurse legal consultants would bring to the table, that's where they're going to look. But you could also post a quick video on highlighting your blog. Hey, this week I'm talking about XYZ or this month my topic is and then put the link in to drive them back to your blog on your website. LinkedIn is a great place to do a, maybe not, you can do a short nugget and point them back, but you could also do a longer piece from your blog, maybe not your entire blog, but two paragraphs or something, because that's certainly appropriate. And you don't know, maybe the lawyer isn't looking at Facebook, a legal assistant maybe, but also family members and who have friends who work in law firms or who are lawyers or those kinds of things. And also, um, you know, people who may want an expertise for, for the plaintiff side of the law as well. If they're the ones that are going to sue, they're going to want to understand their medical records better than the doctor might not have time to explain it. The nurse practitioner might not have time to explain it in an office setting, but maybe you can give some preparation for the plaintiff who's going to sue to really stand their ground. Like that issue I just talked about with adjusting your schedule to fit the doctor's appointment in, but still working eight long hours when you're injured or not feeling your best and those kinds of things that may be helpful to um, advise a plaintiff in that case as well. So, but I hope those are ideas about how social media can be used and um, point back to the website. 
And you raised a great point to clarify our ethical codes do not allow us to work directly with plaintiffs who don't have attorneys. Once they have retained an attorney, then the attorney can is the legal nurse consultant's client and can then bring the nurse in on behalf of the plaintiff. Um, I had a call just last week from a, a man who wants me to help him with a will dispute. I can't help him with a will dispute unless his attorney reaches out to me to ask for assistance. But the the point that you're making that I think is is a strong one that I don't want to overlook is that this is part of an educational process so that the plaintiff who is involved in the suit can say, you know, I've just found out there's a group of people called legal nurse consultants. Dear attorney, could they help me with my case? And that brings more recognition to the attorney and can stimulate some business for the legal nurse consultant. Right, right. I know you've talked a little bit about the website as being the hub, and we've talked about it as a place where you could have an opt-in offer. Can you tell us a little bit more about opt-in offers or lead magnets, what we should focus on, what type of lead magnet we should be thinking about producing to build that list that you mentioned? Sure. I would say that you know, you have to look at what you bring to the table. If you spent 15 years in a, in the um, baby birthing ward or you spent a myriad of years in the ER and saw all kinds of trauma, whatever your level of expertise is, that's what you should be highlighting. And then maybe um, five quick things I learned in the ER. Three things to know before you go to deliver a baby. Whatever your level of expertise is, that's what you should highlight. And then I work with my clients to develop really eye-catching titles and headlines that draw in the attention and want people to read more and then understand more. So you would have a um, the, the landing page or the opt-in page or the, um, you know, your tips page where you're going to capture their, the lead magnet where you're going to capture their email address would be that grabbing headline, want to know more, give me your name and your email address, and I send you the report. And then we set up what's called a nurturing sequence where, let's say, Jane opts in for your five tips on traumas that you saw in the ER. And you say, dear Jane, thank you so much. Here, as promised, is your five tips. Two or three days later, you say, which of those tips resonated with you most? And you start a conversation. And as we said all along, it's about nurturing the relationship so that they remember who you are. And, and then if you have something more, like maybe three tips or five tips isn't your one and only thing. You might have a more comprehensive list, a comprehensive resource that you could sell at a low dollar amount. After four or five touches of this conversation with the person, you judge how they're responding to you. Not at all, a little bit. Oh, it was it was good. Or point number three was the one that really, you know, made me say, aha. Um, 
whatever that may be, you could lead into something a little more robust, a white paper or research of some sort that you were involved with. And like I said, keep that conversation going, engage in, um, you know, if, if they opt in, you could, uh, and it's an attorney and that's your ultimate goal of getting to know, like, and trust those attorneys. So they know, like, and trust you. If they have a presence on LinkedIn, my recommendation would be go to see what they're posting, post what's uh, comes up for you in terms of engagement. Hopefully they're going to do what we teach you. And that is respond to people who engage. It's like a two-way conversation. And if the person doesn't answer, it's not a two-way conversation. So that's, those would be mm -hmm. my recommendations. How often do you think that nurses should be posting in social media? I would think three days a week, two to three days a week would be a good, a good um, spot. And you don't need to post new content each and every time, because if the content you have out there is engaging conversation, you want to keep that conversation going. You don't want to bury it with a new starting of a new conversation. So if there's engagement, just be sure that you're, engaging with the people that are making comments because that's what keeps them connected with you as i said continues the conversation so two times a week would be a great goal and that can include the engagement i would say for linkedin which is what i'm recommending would be the most important of the platforms for your audience pat i would say um Make sure you're on there at least three to four times a week. Look at your notifications so you can make sure you don't miss anybody who commented on your on your um, post. Go to their posts. Um, go to groups where... Do you recommend that your audience um, look at the local ABA, for instance, the bar association that's in the community where they serve, where lawyers would be, or look for those kinds of um, groups where they could interject comments? Is that part of the strategy that you recommend? There are some parts of the country that allow legal nurse consultants to be associate members of the bar association mm -hmm. and therefore participate in events. Um, other areas are not open to that idea. And in one situation, one of my coaching clients was looking around Tampa, Florida. We looked at six bar associations. Two of them were open to the idea. The other four acted as if it was the strangest idea they had ever heard of. Oh, you're not a lawyer. You can't join. But the other two were, come on in. You know, yeah, we have a welcoming hand. Um, you want to pay us money to be a member of the bar association? Sure. Yeah, we could um, arrange for that. So it, it's important to investigate whether the local bar associations and each uh, county has one in the more metropolitan areas are open to having legal nurse consultants be members or associate members of the bar. Well, and even if they don't let legal nurse consultants join the association, they may be listed on LinkedIn or they may have their bar directory because they see it as a way that they're getting the lawyers' names out. But you can look for the lawyers on 
LinkedIn mm -hmm. and connect with them perhaps, or just look at what they're posting or what other groups they're in on LinkedIn and then engage in the conversation that way. That would be a strategy that might um, yield some fruit. I know that there's so much more that we could talk about on this topic, Peg. And, and when we speak about connecting and staying in touch, what is the best way for the listener of this podcast to be able to reach you and find out more about how you help legal nurse consultants with their social media tasks and strategy? Thanks, Pat. I, I'm a big proponent of LinkedIn. So that would be my go-to resource is let's connect on LinkedIn. Tell me that you heard me on Pat's podcast and let's start the conversation and be engaged with one another. It's um, real easy. You just search for my name, Peg, P-E-G, Duchesne. It looks like Duchesne, D-U-C-H-E-S-N-E. My company is Duchess Enterprise. And I like to say Duchess because Duchesne is too hard to spell, too hard to say. But also I treat my clients like royalty. So Peg, Duchesne, and my company is Duchess Enterprise. And just quickly, what kinds of services do you provide? I do content creation for my clients. So I help them understand the audience they're trying to attract and create messaging that, as I talked about the headlines, messaging that will resonate well with the audience that you're trying to engage. I call myself the message therapist because I massage the words to meet that end goal of hitting the mark with your marketing. And I help them create a strategy so that they can keep up with the, you know, starting with one blog a month, then go into two weeks, then one every single week and helping them understand how to chunk it down and what to post on which platform and which would be most beneficial. And then also the follow-up game, because the fortune really is in the follow-up. You need to not only post, you can't just post and walk away. You need to post and keep checking and re-engaging with the audience. So I help with all of that. I help create a theme for the month, help them with their video if they're not comfortable yet, all those things. Well, that's wonderful. I, I know that there'll be people who are going to see this show on our podcast. We have a YouTube channel for Legal Nurse Business, and we provide the video program on our YouTube channel. And the audio is on all of the audio platforms for podcasters. So, Peg, thanks so much for sharing your expertise with our audience. I hope the message that you have delivered is that this doesn't have to be overwhelming. This is manageable. You start with small pieces. You increase the frequency as you develop more skill. You keep the conversations going and react um, to people as individuals as opposed to numbers to build up those relationships. And by providing useful information to attorneys using the skills that Peg has outlined, you stay in the minds of attorneys so that they remember you when they have a case with which they need help. Be sure to come back next week for a new podcast, or if you are binge listening, click on down to the next one. This has been Pat Iyer and Peg Duchesne, last name spelled D-U-C-H-E-S-N-E. Sounds like Dutch, 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 
I can't even pronounce the way it's phonetically. Duchesne is how you phonetically spell it. All right. D-U-C-H-E-S-N-E, first name Peg. Thank you so much, Peg. And it's been a pleasure talking with you this morning and hearing your expertise around the area of social media and marketing to attorneys. Thanks so much. Thank you, Pat. It's been an honor. My name is Pat Iyer, and this is Legal Nurse Podcast. You're going to have an opportunity to hear from Allison Dixon in a moment. Allison is an emergency department nurse with experience in quality improvement case review, which she is now applying to her legal nurse consulting practice. Allison and I just finished a podcast, and I will now ask Allison, what were some of the key things that we talked about? Some of the key things we discussed were emergency department throughput, misdiagnosis and misdiagnosis and treatment in the emergency department and things that can go wrong. One of the things that I believe you'll get from listening to Allison's podcast is the the sense of the stress associated with working in an emergency department and being a patient in an emergency department. The long waits for diagnostic test results, the long waits for treatment rooms, the anxiety and the stress that the patients experience while they are in the waiting area, they're uncomfortable, they're in pain, they want attention, and the attention is limited. And yet, at the same time, the ER is focused on getting those patients in and out as quickly as possible. And that doesn't always happen. So we'll explore those issues in the podcast with Allison Dixon. Be sure to watch your podcast to get some tips that will help you in evaluating emergency department cases. Thanks so much. Be sure to get Allison Dixon's podcast next. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest.